Pastor Nathan T, and I'm privileged to deliver the Word of God to you this morning. Today, this Sunday, we will be closing our series on the book of Esther. It will be the final chapter, Invisible God and Invisible Hands. But before we proceed, let me ask you, who here loves an underdog story? Underdog story. Are you familiar with the word underdog? The term underdog is a noun. It's defined as a loser or a predicted loser in a struggle or contest. And the easiest way to illustrate this is the story of one of our heroes. Let me read the slide to you. I found this ancient poster from 20 years ago. Clash of the Titans. World Featherweight Championship. Marco Antonio Barrera versus Manny Pacquiao. Saturday, November 12, Alamodome. This poster was from November 15, 2003. And let me read to you a blog post about um, this fight that was written by an analyst. It was a recap of what happened. The quote reads, Manny Pacquiao, first met Marco Antonio Barrera at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, Texas on November 15, 2003. Barrera, aka the babyface assassin, was 57 and 3. He won 57 times and only lost 3 times and would have been a great fighter in any era. Barrera, entering this fight, had won his last 8 fights. He was on an 8-fight winning streak. Manny Pacquiao was relatively unknown to those outside the hardcore fight fan circle. The Filipino was already a two-weight world champion at this point, but this time, he was stepping up in weight to face Barrera for the lineal featherweight title, and the odds were stacked against Pacquiao. To be continued. I guess you guys know the end of the story. We love an underdog story like Manny's. It gets our hearts pumping. Our national pride bleeds yellow, blue, and red. We yell, go Manny! No traffic in the streets. All of us are united in heart because of our hero, our underdog, our Filipino, our countrymen fighting up the ranks. One of us becoming someone. But then you see an underdog is also defined another way. From the dictionary, the second line says the underdog is a victim of injustice or persecution. So I dare say all of us love underdog stories. In sports, in movies, these are the characters we root for. It inspires us, it gets our blood flowing. But on the other hand, immediately I dare say we wouldn't choose to be an underdog ourselves. It's okay if it's Manny. If it, it's okay if it's a movie character. It's okay if it's Esther, if it's Mordecai. But if push comes to shove, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't choose to be in Manny's position. He has to fight for significance. He has to fight because his family needs food.
food on the table. He has no means to survive. He is an underdog because he was a victim of an injustice, probably lack of opportunity. He was born into a poverty-stricken family, an underdog. When I was growing up, one of the vows I made to myself was I did not want to have the life of an underdog. I did not want to start my life from behind. I remember, fresh out of college, I was confident. Though in college, I didn't have the highest grades. I was never the academic type, but I was still confident. And I remember in my final thesis defense, one of my profs, the panelists, were telling me, he was smiling at me, he was saying, okay, you did good. Dinan mo sa confidence. I was proud of that, because what else do I have? I needed to wield whatever I had, right? And so I was aware that I was not an academic person, but I was confident because my course was not a very academic course in practice. I had studied BS physical therapy, and this was a course that would require analysis and practical work. And I was good at that. I could piece things together and directly do something about it. That is my line of work. And so early after graduation, I was holding on to that confidence. I knew who I was and what I wanted. I wanted a job that was in sports physical therapy. Nothing more, nothing less. So I waited for that specific job opening. People would be posting. Hospitals were opening jobs because it was graduation season. I waited. Ah, it's not for me. I don't want that. No, 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 no. Fast forward six months. 90% of my batch was earning money. They were posting photos of their work, things they bought with their first paycheck. And I was at home scrolling on my Facebook feed, eating my mom's cooking, and their grocery, and still using their, my allowance to go on dates. <laughs> I was 24 years old. Palomunin. I would say that was the moment that it hit me. Quarter-life crisis yata to. I think this is a quarter-life crisis. Parang nawala lahat ng confidence ko eh. Parang tama ba to? I remember at that time, sabi ko, baka mag-Starbucks barista muna kaya ako. Kahit ano lang, Jollibee, pwede na. It was an unsettling feeling. I realized that I thought I was starting on the right foot, but six months down the road, I was the only one who had not started. Underdog. The vow that I made to myself that I would not start from behind was the exact thing that I found myself in. I was behind. You see, all of us love hearing underdog stories, but we, if and when we find ourselves as the underdogs, we struggle, we panic, we find solutions, we scramble to get out of that position. We hate being an underdog. You don't want to be that guy. And so as we close the book of Esther, we are being presented sort of the Christian life and how it's been framed through the book of Esther as a life of an underdog. A life we wouldn't choose. 
And yet, the book of Esther does not shy away from the realities of the Christian life. Somehow, we always find ourselves a little bit behind than where we want to be. Scary. And so the first thing I want us to reflect on, it will be a contemplation of the things we realize from Esther. Number one, God's people are not exempt from injustice, persecution, or suffering. Just recall the story arc of our characters. First chapter, Mordecai was described as part of the slaves that were carried away. It was a verb that was passive. He had no choice. He was passive in being carried away to Babylon as a slave. It starts the story with that. The Jew, God's person, God's people, was started and introduced from a behind perspective. They were conquered and enslaved by a foreign king of Babylon. Underdog story. Second, we think of Esther. How was she introduced? It says that her parents died. Is that fair? A daughter fending for herself in a foreign country where she was seen practically as trash because she was a foreigner. A foreign woman in a foreign country is just probably a sex slave back then. Nothing. We move on into the middle of the story. We see Mordecai was described as good. He was a man of integrity, of conviction. He was holding on to the Lord's laws. And yes, he was completely forgotten, neglected, and undervalued again and again and again. Underdog, still an underdog. Despite of Esther's being queen, ang ganda-ganda niya, she was chosen for the beauty pageant. After she won the highs of highs, she was relegated to the queen's chambers and practically treated as a pleasure queen, only called into the queen's cham- king's chambers if he so desired. Kung feel na niya. Underdog. And despite of them being both God's people, yes, they were Jews, they were Israelites, they were God's chosen, they were nice, they were decent people, they were not the enemies, but they were bullied. They were sentenced to be killed, People mistreated them. They were victims of injustice and persecution. Why? Was this fair? They deserve it? And yet the book of Esther does not shy away from the unanswered questions of our suffering as God's people. So as we end our study on the book of Esther, we must, must pay attention to this reality. That the Bible does not shield us or pretend that the Christian life is a life of flowers, butterflies, and roses. And yet somehow we want to believe that. That If I go to church more, if I pray to God more, if I read the Bible, if I serve more, then why is my life still the same? There's a dissonance in what we believe and what we say. When we suffer, we hear ourselves complaining of that fact. Yes, alam ko naman. I know, Christians are going to suffer. But when you're the underdog, we start feeling a disconnection. You see, the lesson that God's people are not exempt from injustice, persecution, or suffering is something we're convinced of in our minds. But it's not something we truly embrace in our hearts. I remember last year, 
I was at my uncle's house when I received a call from my dad. His voice was sad. He was telling me about the result of my mom's diagnosis. I just started pastoring. That was almost a year ago, July 2022. Could you imagine my reaction? I just started serving the Lord as a pastor, and my mom was diagnosed as such. You know what I did? Started crying. I ran to one of my cousins because I was at my uncle's house. And I hugged my cousin, saliva on her shirt, tears landing on her shoulders. <laughs> Ugly cry. You know what my heart was saying? I wasn't even thinking. But you know what my heart was saying? I said it out loud. I heard it coming out from the depths of my heart. Sabi ko, Lord, kailangan ba to? I repeated that for 50 times, 50 times. In my crying, that was the only line I was saying. Lord, was this necessary? Is this necessary, Lord? Suffering, injustice? My mom? Second line I was asking. Lord, bakit kailangan may ganito? Does this need to happen, Lord? I just started pastoring. I was about to get married. Is this needed? Could you have accomplished your purposes some other way? Dude, come on. It hurts. I still don't know the answer to this day, one year after. And so the suffering of the Christian life is not a surprise to us. But how must we view Christian suffering. Because we have tried to put it aside. We have shoved it behind the pews. We leave it behind on a Sunday, leaving it on our Saturday nights. Tomorrow, we're good. We're okay. We can show up in church, plump, you know? I just, just muster enough energy for two hours and I can go home and face it again. But whew, just forget about it for a while. But if the book of Esther brings forth the Christian life and suffering without separating it. It was the whole thing. What does that teach us about Christian suffering? It was not an appendix in the book of Esther, right? By the way, she was an orphan. It was a start. It was everything about her brought into the story. It rolled onto the unfolding purposes, the unfolding story. And so let me read to you a quote from Tim Keller, the late pastor. In the secular view, suffering is never seen as a meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. Christianity teaches that, contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contra Buddhism, suffering is real. Contra karma, suffering is often unfair. But contra secularism, suffering is meaningful. 
there is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us deep like a nail into the love of God and to, into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. And so Tim Keller's not saying, uh, don't mind the emotional stuff, don't mind the uh, uh, of suffering, stop, don't, stop crying, no. He's saying suffering is overwhelming. Suffering is real. Suffering is unfair most often than not. But also, suffering in Christianity is meaningful. Suffering because of Christ has purpose. Hmm. It sobers us up. What do you mean, Tim Keller? What do you mean? So I was reflecting back on my episode in my uncle's house. You know the questions that I was asking? Lord, kailangan ba to? I was asking for meaning and purpose. I was looking for the meaning inside of my suffering, inside of our suffering. And so, it's natural for us to look for meaning. But the book of Esther, interestingly, if you notice, does not immediately give us the meaning of suffering as they suffered. Carried away like slaves to Babylon, forgotten your good works, Treated as a pleasure queen. No one narrated, but she was about to become the savior of the Jews. No. It had to roll on. Suffering had to roll on. And Esther probably didn't know. Mordecai didn't know that chapter 10 would find him in a prime minister position. They never knew. And so this is my proposal. The meaning and purpose of their suffering was not dependent on their understanding of the situation. The meaning of, and purpose of their suffering was dependent on the invisible God who promises to work all things to become good for his people. God doesn't always answer our questions about suffering. Why? Kailangan ba the Lord? Bakit kami? Bakit? Bakit? He doesn't always answer but he always, always promises to work all things to become good for his people. So in the midst of our suffering, we can cry. We can be overwhelmed. We can admit its reality, its unfairness, because it is. But also we do not end there. We can face suffering and embrace it because the invisible God has shown us time and time again in the book of Esther and beyond the book of Esther across all the books that Christian suffering has meaning and purpose despite of our lack of understanding and lack of answers. Isn't that more secure? Isn't that more safe? That even though we don't know the answer, it will have meaning? What if it depended on our understanding to make it meaningful? 
then it means our comprehension has to be really, really good and really, really high. But if we don't have time to comprehend, if we are just scrambling into hospitals to work, to put food on our table, we don't have time to understand what's going on, we just have time to survive, it's okay. Because it does not depend on our comprehension to make meaning out of it. It depends on the heart of our God who promises to make good out of everything in our lives as his people. This is the book of Esther. Storytelling again. When I was in my adolescent years, I was struggling to manage my emotions as a child. I think I was 10 years old, adolescent then, child. I would have tantrums in my school because I did not have the capacity to manage my emotions while I was at school. I was an emotional person. I still am. And I was helpless and struggling with my emotions as a child. There were so many things happening in our home, and I did not know how to handle it. So when frustrating tasks, academic tasks, would come to my table, I would have emotional outbursts because I couldn't process the difficulty. And so almost every day, I would have tantrums. I would kick the chairs, the tables, my, my table. And if you were my teacher, what would you do? You had a 10-year-old student who was always disturbing the class. Naturally, you'll be frustrated because you want to keep the classroom clean, orderly, and going in the way you planned. This is how I will teach my students today, and this is what they will learn. But if this guy always is noisy, it's always disruptive. My teacher never approached me. You know what he did? He immediately approached my parents and told me, your child is a big problem. He's going to grow up to be someone wrong. I was 10. And I heard it. Imagine at 10 years old, you heard an adult who was supposed to be employed, you're paying him to help you, and he starts labeling you that you are helpless. It was underdog. It was difficult starting from behind. 10 years old, film mo agad na dehado ka na agad And it cut me deeply. You know, as 10 years old, I don't want to be the mess of the class. Who wants to be that person? But you just didn't know how to manage yourself. You needed help. You needed someone to be, teacher, help me. And the teachers, on the other hand, did what was opposite. He told you you cannot be helped. The very people you trusted to teach, guide, and help you became the very people that told you you were helpless and hopeless. And at that time, 10 years old, that was super, super painful because I, again, was an emotional child and it was a double down. And you know today, I'm 31, that's 21 years removed. I would not have been able to conceive of that specific teacher teaching me for a purpose. Because now that I'm the youth pastor, 
I'm in charge of 13 to 22-year-old kids. And then I see of kids in my ministry where they're also struggling. Maybe not as emotionally as I was, but they're struggling in different ways to manage their family expectations, to manage their academic expectations, to manage their own expectations, to manage the anxieties of a teenage life. And they don't know how to handle it. Some people party more. Some people look for it in girlfriends. Some people look for it in, I don't know, games. But because I went through that teacher, there was a different vow that I realized. I could never get myself to labeling any youth under my ministry as hopeless and problematic. I could not get myself to become that teacher that cut me so deeply 21 years ago. The only heart that I have for these kids, I always pray. And sometimes I cry because I don't know what to do, but I always ask God, Lord, teach me how to help them. You know, I was writing this sermon, and it was the only time that this whole thing crystallized. 21 years later, my suffering of injustice under my teacher suddenly is making sense. It was real, though. It was overwhelming, though, as a 10-year-old. It was unfair, though, because you're paying him. But suddenly, the suffering of the Christian life has meaning and purpose. But I couldn't understand it for the past 20 years. 20 years. Second Corinthians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Paul, talking to his sheep, his members, his church, his people, his afflictions, my hurts, are so that I can learn how to comfort your hurts. My pain, I know it is for your good. Christians have hope and meaning in suffering. One of the comforts that I received during those times as uh, I was going through that 10-year-old chapter, I remember I ran to my family more. I ran to my cousins more. Because I couldn't find solace in school. I couldn't find solace in my classmates. I ran to my family and my cousins. The family that I had was the comfort that God had prepared for me. It was the backer. And I look back 20 years ago, 
And I realized that God had been comforting me with family, with people who were prepared to embrace me no matter what I was going through. I was still having tantrums sometimes at their family home, but these people responded differently. They saw me as a family, not as a problem to be dunka sa counseling or kadita sa school. This is a one of ours. Kapatid ko yan, pinsan ko yan eh. Pamangkin ko yan eh. And so, when I reflected on that comfort that I received, that form of comfort, you know, one of the philosophies that I had now going into youth ministry is I will always treat these kids as my brothers and younger sisters. Whether they come in and out of the ministry, they are absent or present, these are my brothers. The prodigal brother, the prodigal sister, Wherever they have messed up, they should have a home to come home to every time here in God's people. So the comfort that I have received is now translating into a way of life that blesses others, that comforts those who have no family to run to. When school sucks, when your barcada betrays you, when you're no longer in the cool group, you come to church and we see you as you are. When you're failing at work, you're failing in your marriage, you come home to the church because you're still one of us. When you failed in sin, when your business has failed, when your investments are gone, you made a stupid decision maybe, you come home and we don't see you as stupid, we see you as brother and sister. That is such a safe place to be. It is for your comfort and salvation if we are comforted. Christian suffering has meaning and purpose. So the book of Esther is proposing to us that there is an invisible God who has been present and making meaning in your life despite of your unawareness. So church, let me turn back the microphone to you. Now that you have been introduced to such a God in the book of Esther, Could it be that he has also been present in the 20 years ago of your lives? In the 10 years ago, hurtful chapters. Despite of your inattention or ignorance to him, you weren't a Christian back then. You did not know the God of Esther back then. Could it be now that you know him, you look back and you see patterns and shadows of that God? How did he show up? Certain people, certain provisions, certain setups. Maybe it was God all along. Now that you are able to recognize you. How is he there in the hurts and painful chapters of your lives? Deep, scary, dark rooms we don't want to go back into. But with the light of Esther, with the light of God, we can go back in and see, oh yeah, he was here. He was in this room. So now I can come back in this room with more confidence and find healing and comfort that I can bring out of this room. Learn to look back on the invisible God by identifying the invisible hands that were present 
in your meaningless sufferings back then. The meaning and purpose of their suffering was not dependent on their understanding of the situation. The meaning and purpose of their suffering was dependent on the invisible God who promises to work all things to become good for his people. Second, God's power does not rule out our actions. As we recall recall the book of Esther, think of how many key turning points had to take place through the hands of God's people. How many? So many. And so this is what I think Esther is proposing us to see. God's people are always called to carry out God's purposes in the world. We are the very tools that he uses to bring kingdom come through Esther, through Mordecai, through the suffering of Esther and Mordecai, God's purposes are carried out. Throughout the book of Esther, we see of people who were appointed, prepared, positioned, and empowered. God used them to course his saving and rescuing work despite of their unawareness. So we trust in the positioning God, in the invisible God who sets you up for that moment in time when you will be invited to partake of kingdom work and carry out rescue missions that will help save his people. So we'll read chapter 10 finally. (laughs) Let's read chapter 10, which only has three verses. King Asuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai was, the Jew was second in rank to King Asuerus and for he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Quickly, I want us to emphasize the two things that probably the, the author wanted us to finish the book with. Mordecai was said that he sought the welfare of his people and he spoke peace to his people. Our God is the invisible God, but he uses visible things to carry out his power. He doesn't always work through the invisible miracles, but most commonly he works through the ordinary graces that are visible in our lives. The people, situations, the setups, the positions. He courses his blessing and work through the visible things. And yet, to represent God as his people is very unnatural to us. Because we are naturally selfish. We're like Haman. We preserve ourselves, we further our own purposes instead of allowing God's purposes to be carried out through us. Let me tell you a story. A few months ago, one of our housekeeping staff had a bike accident off duty hours. He was about to go home already. He hit a ditch, his bike flipped over, his forehead hit the ground, smack on the pavement. He was unconscious. People rushed to him. And when the people rushed to him, their faces were a blur. He was so nervous. He thought he had brain damage. 
But you know, our housekeeping services are outsourced. We are employing a company that employs them. And so that company has no sick leaves nor medical emergency funds. And they told him, you had an accident outside of your work hours, therefore, hands off kami dyan. Thankfully, we heard of his condition. We contacted some of our members here in the church who are doctors. And we immediately rushed to have him have a CT scan. And our very own engineer, Chester, accompanied him on his, after his hours to have a checkup. The church paid for his checkup, CT scan. guys. But is this impractical, maybe? It's costly, a bit. Unnatural, maybe. But you see, this kind of work is about seeking the welfare of our people, which will definitely incur cost and be unnatural. It will cost you something to be for God's purposes and not your own. You see, if our top priority in life is cost efficiency, you are, sorry to say, worshiping the God of cost efficiency. If your top priority in decision-making is convenience, then sorry to say your God is actually convenience. If your decision-making basis is based on your own values, then it will most likely be counter to God's values. The book of Esther invites us to reevaluate the way we participate in the world today. To be truly effective, invisible hands or visible hands of the invisible God, we have to reevaluate every decision we make according to the values we stand by. And also, the Bible stories all point us to this. Despite of his perfection and his power, God chooses to use imperfect people to shine forth his eternal light in the darkness of their times. There's no exception. Ah, pang Esther, pang mga queen lang yan, or pang mga Mordecai, mga holy, holy lang yan. No. In fact, I want to highlight that Mordecai lied and Esther lied. Mordecai told Esther, which was his daughter, to lie about her identity. Is that perfection? No. It's probably immoral, lying, something we won't teach our kids to do. Esther even committed a graver sin. She got married to a foreigner, which was against the law. And yet why? Why does God allow his purposes to course through imperfect people? Because we're all imperfect. We need the perfect God to work through our imperfections. So the perfect God chooses and invites imperfect people to shine forth his eternal light in the darkness of their times. We are invited to play a part in the grand rescue mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second line that I want us to see is the word peace. Number two, he spoke peace to all his people. You see the word peace there? Is the word shalom. Shalom, shalom. Maybe you hear that, no? People saying shalom, shalom, shalom to you. You know what shalom actually means? It sh- shalom means completeness, prosperity, and soundness. It's just wholeness. Kabuuan. 
In our modern day terms, I would say it means an overall and holistic flourishing. The flourishing of human life in all aspects. And the, the book of Esther e- ends with this, describing to us Mordecai and his values. He said Mordecai was popular and famous among his brothers because he was a man who was about the overall flourishing of everyone around him. Gusto niya umaangat yung buhay ng lahat ng mga katabi niya. You see, our common misconception about the Christian life is that we should be concerned about the spiritual life of the people. Devotions, Bible reading, worship service. And yet, shalom is actually the priority of God. All of those Bible things, prayer things, worship service things are very, very important. I'm not de-elevating them. But what I'm doing is I want us to elevate everything else as well. Seek for the overall flourishing of the lives of the people around you. That means finances. That means opportunities. That means emotions. That means mental health. That means family problems. That means physical illnesses, problems, medical diseases, psychological problems, marital problems, parental problems. All of their aspects of their lives must be brought to God that they might experience the shalom, completeness, umaangat lahat ng aspeto ng buhay nila. And so Christian, I know most of us are thinking, ah, God is powerful, I just pray for them. No? Pray for them that they will go to church and believe in Jesus. That is good, very, very good, but it's not enough. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have much. I'm not a Bible study teacher or a pastor or a, I don't know the Bible. I don't even read it, to be honest. But maybe the book of Esther is inviting you to be the Esthers and the Mordecais. They never opened the Bible. Like we said, they never even mentioned the, 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 the God in, 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 in the book of Esther. But what did they do? They sought the shalom of their people using where they were planted. So like Queen Esther, maybe you have access to change some rules that are unjust. Like Mordecai, maybe you don't have access to the top-tier people who have influence, but maybe you can be the voice of those who are crying and suffering. Maybe you don't have time to lead a Bible study but maybe you can help your neighbor by driving her to the hospital. Maybe you cannot commit to teach or preach a sermon, but maybe God has given you resources that allows you to buy food for the beggar you always pass by on your way to school or to the office. Seek the shalom of the world. Seek the shalom of God's children because his power is made manifest to the imperfect people that he allows us to be. The Bible stories all point us to this. The perfect God chooses to use imperfect people to shine forth his eternal light in the darkness of their times. Suddenly, when a light enters their lives, a kindness, a grace, an undeserved gift, an undeserved love enters their lives. Maybe they're planting seeds that maybe there is a God. Maybe there is a God. 
Maybe there is hope for me. Maybe the one up there still sees me. Is God knocking on your heart with fresh motivation and participation in his kingdom? Let me ask you what Mordecai asked Esther. Who knows church? Whether you are here for such a time as this. Respond to the challenge of God. Last, not the least, God's promises will surely be fulfilled. Lumang tugtug na yan, no? But let's use a story. This week, we featured some stories in the Youth Ministry Facebook page. Please comment, like, and subscribe. In that page, we sometimes try to feature certain stories of people in CBCP, people who have served with us in ministering to the youth one way or another, decades past or decades prior. And this past Wednesday, we were privileged to hear stories of Pastor Albert and Deacon Jervis. But for today, sorry, Jervis, Pastor Albert is our feature. Next sermon, gonna Jervis. Let me read to you what Pastor Albert said. In 2004, I was asking God for direction for ministry. I was invited to speak at the youth worship in November that year. While I was at the stairs going to the choir room where the youth worship was held then in Talayan, I remembered the place from a dream. The Lord answered my prayer. I visited Reverend Jeremiah Chung that December and told him that God is leading me to CBCP. In January 2005, the church council allowed me to be a volunteer co-worker in the youth ministry. Serving in the youth ministry is heartening and disheartening at times. You would see youth who are growing in their faith, yet there are those who will appear regularly and totally disappear after. After 18 years in CBCP, I have witnessed youths who are now church leaders, serving as life group leaders, worship leaders, teachers, deacons, and pastors. Some of those whom I've lost contact with before have returned to CBCP, acknowledging that they want their children to grow in a Christian environment. Last, the youths then are now my co-workers and they are or will soon be Christian leaders who my children can learn from. As the Apostle Paul said, I planted the seed Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. Stay in the ministry in its highs and lows because God makes everything beautiful in his time. Isn't that beautiful? You know what's interesting? I have some time to tell a personal story. I put that in my Facebook page, actually. When Pastor Albert was our youth pastor in Talayan, we were only around 15 youth. And we would uh, use a little karaoke uh, stereo sound system. He would bring his work laptop. He would prepare really shabby PowerPoint slides to share a few verses. It was very unprofessional compared to our production today. It was so ordinary. And the kids were more unprofessional. We didn't even know what we were doing. A lot of us did not even talk or sing when Pastor Albert was singing. 
He would use his own money to bring us snacks and food. Saturday nights in Talayan, he would show up with a box of pizza, and then sometimes two people would show up. Maybe sometimes I remember we were two, three people long. Yet he was always there, always there. Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. 18 years na siya. 18 years na siya. Pero isipin nyo, if he, looking back at Pastor Albert in 2005, would he have felt that this was so meaningful, this was so purposeful, three people? Probably the opposite. What am I doing? 12 slices of pizza, sinayang ko lang, tatlong tao lang yung nabusog. Every week I'm like, prepare. I'm a boss, I'm a business owner, I have so much things, other things that I need to do. Why should I prepare for 12 youth who never even show up or never even show signs of life? They're just... 18 years. And so this post is a sign of God's sure fulfillment. Stay in the ministry, in its highs and its lows, whether it feels meaningful or not, because God makes everything beautiful in His time. This lesson is profound because most of the time in Christian life, it's not the new things that we struggle with. We struggle with staying faithful with the things we know we want to stop doing. Kakapagod eh. Tatlong tao lang eh. Absent-absent sila parati. Parang wala namang kwenta yung Bible study namin sa work. Parang ganun pa rin sila. Masama pa rin attitude nila. Tigil na natin Bible study. Gawa na lang tayo stricter rules. Bawasan na lang natin sweldo nila. So bilis pa. Easy solutions feel easier. But the eternal stuff is slower. Slower. Harder to keep at. 18 years. Isa na ako dun. When I was in Pastor Albert's youth ministry, I was nothing. I didn't even care about anything. I didn't even know God. This is a part of Sunday tradition. I had no life. But now I stand here admiring this father, spiritual father of mine, who never gave up on us. I will never know the extent of the seeds he planted in the hearts of many. But I know something mattered there. Something happened. And so for those who are thinking of giving up today, trust in the Lord's hands. Trust in the invisible God, even in the three people, the one person, or your only child, or your parenting struggles. Patablet ko na nga lang yan. Huwag ka nang basahan ng Bible story yan. Nakatamad. Parang hindi naman nakikinig pag nag-Bible story kami. Tablet na lang. Nood na nang tayo TV. Stay in the ministry because God makes everything beautiful in His time. Christians, we are so forgetful. And so as I end, I want us to read this verse. Romans 5, 4-6. Not only that, but rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.
The book of Esther ends with a feast. Feast that was commanded for all the people to celebrate. It was called the Feast of Purim. Every year they would celebrate that, not because there was another enemy, because they were forgetful. We are forgetful people. We need to celebrate and remind ourselves that the promises of God will always be fulfilled despite of what we feel, despite of what we're going through, despite of the oppositions we face, His promises will be fulfilled just like it did with Mordecai and with Esther. We sing Esther and Mordecai's song again and again because that is what will hold us through to the end until the return of Jesus Christ. So we come here in church every week. Probably you know how the sermons will end. You know how the songs will be sung. You know the lyrics to everything. But why do we sing it again and again and again? Because we need an anchor to our lives. We are forgetful people. Six weeks lang tayo, wala dito, nakakalimutan pa natin. We need to celebrate and remember God's goodness constantly. So that includes Bible reading. That includes fellowship with believers. That includes praying for one another. Bro, kamusta ka na? Kaya mo pa ba? Tulungan kita. Let's keep going because God will make everything beautiful in His time. But it needs to be cultivated, celebrated, and focused on intentionally fanning the flames because the world is attempting to dry us out. The book of Esther gives us hope. The book of Esther gives us celebration. The book of Esther gives us commitment. Because Christ will return. And on that day, we can say, yes, yes, you have made everything make sense now that you are here. Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. We are waiting. We have been waiting. You are here. Think of the joy that you will have in that day when you have stayed the course. It will be beyond glory. Let's keep on keeping on, church. Story of Manny Pacquiao. The opening bell sounded Barrera. The betting favorite at four and one was blitz and was down in the third before surviving the next few rounds. Pacquiao was a whirlwind of punches, overwhelming Barrera, who was once again down in the 11th, which was to be the final round. He also had a point deducted in the ninth when he hit Pacquiao on the break. Barrera was shell-shocked and had nowhere to turn. And despite his pride, he must have been grateful for his corner man, Rudy Perez stepping on the ring apron, which forced referee Lawrence Cole to stop the fight. At the moment, at the time of stoppage, Manny was ahead on all three scorecards: 97-89, 97-90, The underdog story will end with the underdog winning. This is what the Book of Revelation tells us. When the bell ends, when the referee calls stoppage, Christians, sons of Jesus Christ, we will be ahead in the scorecards because Jesus has already won it for us. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. Don't throw in the white towel just yet. Pray for the Lord Jesus sooner come, but in the meantime, stay the course. Stay the course. The book of Esther promises that. And so let me invite you to have some time to pray to the Lord 
in your own space and silence.